Welcome to the Game of Crowdfunding Interview Edition, recorded August 7th, 2014. That's right, we are back again with another interview for you from somebody that has a project on Kickstarter right now. Who's joining me on Skype tonight? Hey Jeff, it's Chris Handy. How you doing? Good. How are you doing, sir? I'm great, man. Busy. I've got got a Kickstarter just launched on Monday, so I'm just trying to stay afloat. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, we're we're catching Chris here in the early thralls of his project, so uh, the man probably hasn't slept for a while. So we're gonna go easy on him tonight. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and Chris Handy right now has uh, the Paco game project on kickstarter right now some of you that interact with me quite a bit online uh have already possibly had conversations with me about this because i know i've had quite a few people ask me if i knew anything about it and and what i thought of it and of course we've uh, sent people over to chris because i think this is an amazing project and we'll get into that of course as we go along cool but Chris, I have a couple warm up questions for. I got like three warm up questions, and then, like I, I told you earlier, we'll just go into a conversation and and see where we go. <laughs> all right, sounds good. All right, this is part of All Us Geeks. This is a standalone segment that we do on All Us Geeks. So, of course, we like to ask, "What makes you a geek, sir?" Ooh, I'm a geek because I like board games. We're still geeks, even though we keep wanting them to like tip into the masses. We're we're geeks, so I'm definitely a, a gamer. I'm a I'm a uh, retro gamer too. In our loft, I actually have I think it's 16 different consoles that are plugged into the screen, and and um, everything from Intellivision. From uh, I've got the all the Nintendos are in there. It's it's gets a little crazy. So uh, definitely a a gamer at heart. And uh, I also like some pretty geeky film also. I'm really excited about the new Star Wars stuff that I've been reading up on. And so I'm, I am uh, qualified to uh, join the podcast here. My <laughs> credentials are in order. <laughs> yes. Uh, you know, my fiance is a huge Star Wars geek. So, you know, maybe I should go get her and I, I can step out for a little while. <laughs> Because <laughs> I'm sure she would love to talk Star Wars with you for quite a while. Uh, not that I don't enjoy Star Wars. I, I very much do. And we're both movie geeks massively. So, uh, that, that is awesome. We, I love to hear from other movie geeks whenever I can. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, my wife and I, it's our mutual hobby as well. We both like games, but we both like film uh, of all sorts, documentaries and everything. So that's kind of one of the things we share. And, um, it's cool. It's film is a really cool hobby and it's it's better than ever with iTunes and Netflix and stuff to watch good film. So So is there anything that you kind of now I'm I'm already getting off of not doing the three warm-ups because <laughs> because we've got things to talk about right away. Is there a, a specific focal point that you get into that you're kind of hard into when it comes to being a movie geek? And for an example, I'll go, you know, I like a lot of different things but I can do movie quotes all day and Megan will get upset with me because she cannot remember a movie quote to save her life. But she'll come at me with, yeah, you know, the, the guy who was the cousin of the grip. And I'm like, who knows oh, that? Right, right, right. Who, who cares? What are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I'm probably more of a, uh, along her lines where I, I can track people a little bit better. And uh, my wife has a terrible memory anyway, so she's she's worthless uh, on all those fronts. But uh, 
Yeah, no, as far as film goes, I'm we're into the indie stuff and, and the docs. I'm not super into like the superhero. I think the superhero movies of the last five to seven years are a little bit much. I'm I'm looking forward to seeing Guardians. I haven't seen it yet with this crazy Kickstarter launch, but that's the first one in a while that I'm like, yeah, I, I'm I'm ready. So it was a good time. Um, it was a good time. <laughs> yeah, I've heard nothing but great stuff. So I'm I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> All right. So, uh, one of the other questions I like to ask, and we, I like to preface this with, cause one of the things that we promote a bit on all us geeks is that you can truly geek out about anything. If you've got the passion level for it, you can geek about it. So we like to ask, do you have any geek level passions for something that, you know, uh, the, the typical person on the street would not consider geek related? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I'm into sweets. So I'm into desserts. Like I'll, I'll make shakes with, uh, fruit loops and, and marshmallow sauce and just get things tricked out. I also do a lot of designer, <laughs> sweet designer cocktails and stuff like that. Um, and I'm also into caramel corn. I do all these different types of like craft designer kind of caramel corn. So definitely a sweet tooth. And I do geek out about all that stuff. <laughs> nice. That is, that is a first. I like yeah, it. Yeah. I'm I telling like you. It. Yeah. And everybody in my life who also has a sweet tooth likes it. They're like, you can, you can use me as a guinea pig all you want. So uh, it's, it's a good little hobby to have too. All right. And then our, our last, uh, warm up question. And you can answer this as general or specific as you want. And, and you'll know why in a second here. Uh, but uh, unless, uh, unless, uh, game publishing, game designing is your full time job, uh, what do you do as a living besides design games? So. In the last couple of years, I've become a full-time artist, and that does entail design. And in fact, I've basically been working full-time at the Pack a Game project since the first of the year. But I also do uh, kids' music. I do concerts, um, performing. I do apps. Some of them are game apps. Some of them are kids' reading book apps. So I've been doing the kids' music thing for about 20 years. So. Nice. Those are the two things I juggle. I used to own gateplay.com. And so I was doing that retail online store for a while and I just kind of juggled that kind of stuff and uh, it seems to work out okay. So you've kind of been involved in the game space for quite a while, but I always like to try to see if there's is something that, that people can point to when the switch went off from going, I enjoy games to, I want to be on the business side of games. Do you have anything like that that you can point to? Yeah, I would say that Magic the Gathering tipped me into getting really into gaming. And then when I just got the idea for Longshot, I was actually on a Wave Runner racing on a lake when when Longshot popped into my head. And like 80% of the idea popped into my head at that time. And that I went home and made the prototype within two or three days. And that was like really the switch of like, oh, I can I can create this thing that I'm also kind of into also. So that and we toyed with the idea of possibly getting into publishing in, in 2000 and 2001 and ultimately decided to just sell ideas to publishers. And now oh, here we are 14, 15 years later using Kickstarter and using everything I've learned about self-editing and the industry and my connections to to do it myself. So I, I'm quite ready to try and pull it off. And I do want to kind of hit that point home too a little bit as well. Like this is your first 
Kickstarter, but you are by no means new to game design and this is not your first game or first project by any means. Right. Just to kind of fill in the background a little bit, you already mentioned Longshot a bit, uh, a little bit. So you want to kind of take us through some of, some of your other projects prior to pack a game coming about? Sure. So I did the long shot discover, you know, popped into my head in 2001 and I didn't get it published until I think it was 09 with Z-Man. And that was primarily because I kind of shelved it for a while. And then I brought it back out around 07. Days of Wonder had it for a while and eventually decided not to do it. And then met with Zev. Kind of in the meantime, though, I was more focused on like party type games. I've got Linkity, Handy and Plexed. And those are all kind of One's a word association. Uh, one's a f- kind of bid wording game, word game. And I was more focused on that. And some of that stuff got picked up. And then I started designing the Euro, the kind of the middleweight Euro stuff, um, around the mid 2000s. That's when Chinqua was made and a bunch of other stuff that, uh, I still kind of have on the shelf. So I've probably designed close to 200 games. That said, they're, all different stages. Some I think are done. Some are just concepts that are in a bag with dice, you know, or whatever. So it's just anywhere in the spectrum. And then the pack of game thing has come about in the last year or so. And this is the first time I am really confident in a product to take to Kickstarter and take to market. And everybody around me for the first time said, this is the one you need to do. And I've had some, there's some good euros that I have that are sitting on the shelf that are done, but I haven't had the confidence to, cause I think that Kickstarter is kind of crowded in the middleweight Euro category. This is something unique enough and actually fits in everybody's life, not just gamers lives, but non gamers, casual gamers. And there's, I think there's a real need for this size of a game. That's, that's good. That's not Uno that doesn't suck. So that, that's why I went for this idea. Cause I, I know by having it in my life for the last six months, how much more I'm gaming because of them. And so that's just only reassured me in the project. So here I am. So you're doing this one yourself. How is this comparing or how how are you feeling, I guess, overall from kind of going to be handling this as a self-publishing kind of thing? So handling the entire process yourself versus designing and handing off to a publisher. Do you have a, a one way or the other that you you kind of feel more comfortable with or here, let, let me put it this way. Cause this, I, I'm always curious about this and you're, you're a good example because you now you're on both sides. I've had the full spectrum of people on. And I, so I, I tend to ask this question quite a bit because I, I'm always curious where people fall, but some people I've had on are, you know, on the, the far spectrum of, you know what? I, I only want to design. I don't want to do any of that other stuff. Uh, I, I always want to hand something off to a publisher if I can to, all the way to the other end of the spectrum of people is like, you know, uh, I've had some people said we've tried designing that that wasn't our thing to uh, I'm strictly a publisher. I like helping other people get their games out. Uh, and then, you know, somewhere in the middle where some people are like, well, I'm I'm using Kickstarter, it quote unquote, a necessary evil to have to do this. So the publishing side of things to get my game out there. So where do you fall in that spectrum? Yeah. Well, first of all, I don't think Kickstarter is a necessary evil. I think it's an unbelievable tool um, in this era. And right. it's it's, and uh, it's just, fantastic. Just to clarify, the sure. necessary evil in that end is that they are they are handling the publishing side themselves. It's not sure. it's not using the Kickstarter, but that they're they're not fully comfortable with 
publishing per se, but they're willing to do it to get their game out. To get their game out, right. Well, you know, it's just the the last big publication that I had was Cinque Terra. And I was really frustrated with a lot of aspects in that whole process. I'm pleased with the final product. And when I first started designing games, I set a goal to get a game designed and published under Rio Grande. So I achieved that goal, but I was not happy with the delay primarily. And it was just something that I I was ready to try and take on myself. And since I'm doing art full time and in the era of Kickstarter, I just felt like, you know what, I could do at least that good. And and a lot of things like marketing and a lot of the skill set needed to to pull off a Kickstarter and to market a product and bring it to retail. I have a lot of those skills. And so I was kind of comfortable moving into that. But it just took me some time because for a long time, I didn't want to do those things either. And part of that was just waiting. I really wanted to see my own product on the shelves, but knowing that I didn't put it there, that somebody else kind of signed off on it, that Zev from Z-Man said, yep, it's a bona fide game and we'll put it at Berkeley Games. I really wanted that for myself to see that happen. And you know, in 2014, I've seen it a couple times. And so that I'm kind of beyond that. And now it's like, all right, now I really want to do all of these things myself in the way that I want to do them. I want to have full control over marketing and how things are presented and how things are, you know, if the delay comes up, I want to handle it. And the other side of that is it's taken me about 15 years to trust my own editing. Because when I first got into this and considered publishing, I was really worried that I wouldn't be able to self-edit and step away from the game and walk around it and really analyze it critically and and remove my own passion from it. And, you know, 15 years on, I'm much better at that. When I use my playtesters, I know exactly what they're trying to say, even when they're not saying what they mean. I know based on response, their facial expression, if they're checking Twitter. I mean, I just I understand editing. I understand playtesting feedback in a way that I certainly didn't understand 15 years ago. And so that kind of confidence, knowing that, yeah, I can self-edit my games now because I, I know what product I'm looking for. And I know when I just need to shelf it or get away from it for a while. And and so that's really taken about 15 years for me. I know for others, it's probably a lot less, but I'm finally there. So it's good to hear. So yeah, you, uh, what we like to refer to as like the baby syndrome, uh, you're, yeah. you're a little concerned about having to tell your, your, one of your, one of your children that they might not be as good as they think they are. <laughs> yeah. Or like, you know, you, time, you need to, you need to braces. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yep. No, yeah, it's uh, I, that's always kind of a a red flag for me when I'm working with somebody and either uh, interviewing them or consulting with them about a Kickstarter. And, and as soon as the phrase "my baby" comes out, I, I usually have a side conversation. <laughs> it's like, no. oh, let's have a conversation real quick. <laughs> and you know, luckily, I have tons of songs that have never come out, or nobody will ever hear too. And I think the more that you create the more you develop the ability to detach from it and not be so weird about it and, and attached. And so I think just now I've, it's just been enough time, you know, I'm 40, so I've learned it. Let's talk a little bit about the music side of things. So that sounds kind of, kind of cool too. How did you get into doing uh, children's music? Well, my family actually started an, uh, a business in the eighties. They, uh, my mom was lecturing locally on how to use kids music more effectively in classrooms 
And then she started, she developed a workshop and started taking it on the road and, and traveling all over the U.S. to, to major cities. And it really took off. And she hooked up with Rafi, who was a Canadian kids musician at, at the time, was very popular. And they, and he basically endorsed her and said, here, here you go. I'll put my, I'll sign off on everything, use my music, et cetera. And so she did that. My parents did that for, I don't know, five or 10 years. And then when I was, 18, they said, you know what? We've been selling a lot of Rafi's music and we know that you are doing a lot of music at home. Do you want to make a kid's record for us to, to sell? And so I, you know, was up for it and it kind of just took off from there. We, I made six or seven recordings for them and, and associated books. And since then, I've sold over a hundred thousand recordings, uh, independently all over the U.S. Nice. And yeah. this, that's something you're still actively doing as well, right? Well, I'm doing it to a certain degree. I, I've, I've kind of changed things. I mean, people aren't really buying much music anymore. Unfortunately, it's a, it's an art that uh, has lost value, but there are elements of this whole thing that I can still do. I mean, the apps have, have allowed me to refresh some of my recordings and, and products. And then also, uh, you know, I still do lots of, uh, shows. I don't do like birthday parties and stuff like that. I do week of the young child in, in Merced County and things like that. Some bigger type things. And, um, so still kind of doing that. I'm working on a, a record that's a little bit more personal. A lot of the stuff that I've done is a little more educational focused. It, it usually has some kind of um, language learning value or, you know, something that's more classroom appropriate. And, um, now I'm really working on about to finish, hopefully in the next year, very kind of personal family oriented songs that don't have to have an educational value that are just cool songs for everybody. So, um, I was getting close to finishing that project when the pack of game kind of <laughs> fell into my lap and said, whoops, um, we're going to delay this record because this pack of game thing is way more interesting and a, and a much better product to spend energy on. I think it's just, it's really cool. I mean, one, I somewhat a music geek as well. I mean, I used to, to DJ when I was younger and all that kind of stuff. So the music side of things kind of st stuck with me, but I think it's kind of cool that you've got all of these wonderful creative outlets that you're surrounding yourself with and doing very well in, in each one that you kind of take on. So I, I think that that's awesome. It, it's great when you can have that kind of passion and everything and, and make it work for you. Yeah. Thank you. I, you know, it, it is a challenge at times, but, uh, I've got a lot of support. My wife's a principal and she kind of can help, uh, support some of the other, uh, things that we need as a family unit. So, um, I am, I'm pretty grateful that I can, you know, do that and, and really focus on it full time. So, all right. So you've kind of said you've got somewhere around like 200 designs in various stages and, uh, the pack a game, if I remember right, uh, you said something like you've got potentially 20 games in that line. Uh, is that correct? Yeah. I'm eventually, well, eventually uh, I eventually I see more, but I've really been working on about 20. So it's okay. something like 18. I don't think they're all going to be ready for release, you know, anytime soon, but right. some, a lot of them are, but those have been the, the primary focus. In a more general sense, because I'm going to get into some specifics with you about the pack a game process, but do you in general, after all this time and the different games that you've designed, I'm always curious if people have a design process that, that works for them that they always use or, and, and it, sometimes it does, it, does it depend on the game? Does, does it switch up for you depending on the game? I don't really have a process, but I, I usually don't get game components out and start pushing them around and start brainstorming. I usually just let, I have enough time during the day 
to just kind of let some ideas flow here and there. And I usually try and pair a, a unique uh, mechanism with an associated theme. And so that's usually what where it starts. And then um, I kind of build it out from there. And with the pack of game stuff, it's been a lot easier to design in this space because so many questions are answered because, for example, there's 30 cards and they're all a certain size. So I know that if I want to have a, a tile laying type mechanic in the game that I'm thinking of, I know that that's available and how I can utilize um, the portions of the card to bring that concept to life. And so I think I've been a lot more efficient than I've ever been in this particular form factor because the limitations are so great. And yet I'm moving way faster than I ever thought I would. I mean, when I first came up with RGB, which is now called Hue, I realized after carrying it around for a couple of weeks that it was an unbelievable form factor because, you know, you really can do a lot of different things with something that you can treat as a domino or you can hold it in your hand as a card or it's small enough to use it as kind of a marker or a token. And I just started brainstorming ideas and, and it, it just didn't let up. And, you know, I've, I jotted a lot of them down, but I couldn't print them fast enough. There was probably in a two month period, I probably printed 15 different packs. Maybe it was even less time than that. So it just exploded. And so, um, in this design process, I'm very familiar with what I think I can do and pull off. And I'm getting better and better at it with each game I, I make because you just, you start to understand what's possible. And you don't, you know, when you, when I do like a Cinque Terra type game or long shot, you can have any number of cards. You can put anything in a 12, 12, four box. I mean, you can put a million ideas in there, but it's a lot more difficult to uh, bring a concept to this pack. And yet, so many questions are answered when you start to uh, play them out. Yeah, that's it's one of the things. Like I said, I, I definitely want to talk about that more here in a little bit because I'm amazed at what you've done with the restrictions you have. But it's one of the things that I always find interesting because over at the Game Crafter, they do contests all the time, and the contests uh, offer restrictions. And some people like that, some people don't. And I'm always one of the people that's like, the restrictions are good for you. This is this is a good thing. This is kind of putting yourself to the test on can you design within within these guidelines and uh for some of these people that that I talk to off and on that are always trying to uh sell themselves to publishers it's like that you're going to get that as well because publishers have specific things that they're looking for so i i i actually encourage a lot of people to design within the restrictions and to participate in those type of contests i think they're great yeah, and I think that sometimes, especially uh, new designers, think that fewer mechanics means less complexity, and that's not necessarily the case. And and I'm really drawn to elegant design and rule sets where you know we can get started right away, but then once you play a couple turns, the whole game opens up, and you realize, wow, I really need to play this ten times to understand the boundaries uh, and the the consequences of each of my choices. And um, I think that I've really I've been surprised by the possibility of that with a game like Taj or Gem. I mean, those games, you really do need to to play them because there's consequences on like every single aspect of a decision. So I'm really excited that so many people that uh, are at the Game Crafter are, are trying to do games with smaller components and really t trying to streamline games because 
that's the trend that I like. I know that there's a trend of micro games and there's also a trend right now of the Cavernas and the, you know, the Rosenberg kind of stuff. And those types of games don't interest me because I think that you can create really difficult, interesting decisions with very little components. And um, that's what I'm hoping to, to show to gamers with this line. Yeah, and I think you've done an excellent job. I mean, the, the two that you mentioned, like Jem and Taj, just surprised me and blew me away. Uh, and, and Hugh, Hugh did as well. Uh, yeah. Just what you, what you can do. And of course, again, well, we'll get into that in a second. <laughs> Cause I do have, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm going to make that switch because there's, a lot, right, there's, right. there's stuff I want to talk to you about. But before that, cause you had mentioned this earlier, it, it, kind of in passing, but you had mentioned playtest. Do you have like a set group of playtesters or do you have a playtest process that you like to follow to get to that final point where you go, all right, I'm done with this game. I have several groups of playtesters that I use and, and, um, and I use them all for different reasons. And I know it helps to know what kinds of games your testers like and what kind of response they give to games that they do like or don't like. I have enough uh, friends and in, in, that are into games and people that want to help test um, that I, I tap them all, especially for this series. You know, I listen I listen to myself a lot on whether it's done or not, but I do listen quite a bit to certain people uh, with a particular game. It just depends. I, when a game is done, it, it just all depends. It depends on uh, a lot of factors, but uh, you really do have to listen to your play testers and, and know what they're saying. All right, so here it is. Uh, let, let's go ahead and talk about pack a game. So why don't you give us your elevator pitch for the pack a game Kickstarter project? Sure. So pack a game is a, a series of really small card games. Each pack has thirty cards that are one by three and um, one single rule sheet that's color front and back and the packs really are about the size of a juicy fruit 25 cent pack, like, you know, whatever that size is. And the idea is that these are cheap, but they are fun and engaging. And they, they have three levels. There's casual, for example, TKO and fly are casual games that basically you can explain how to, how to play and how you're going to win within about 30 seconds to a minute. There's an intermediate level and Hugh is an intermediate or a level two. And those are games that take a little bit more explaining, but not always. But the game is a lot more thinky. There's there's more stuff going on. You need to plan. It's not a casual game per se. And then level three, which is more advanced, is um, something that's a little bit more than what a casual gamer might be up for. I mean, gamers are going to see this and say, oh, it's just an auction. But we forget that you know, casual gamers or non-gamers don't necessarily understand the auction mechanic or phases to a turn or things like that. And so um, the level three is uh, something that is a little trickier for the non-gamer, but just right for gamers. And also um, some pretty complex decisions for, you know, what's in a pack that size. And so that those are kind of the three levels. And on the Kickstarter, we're launching with four, and I've chosen these four because I think they have the fullest range of appeal. And uh, any non-gamer, casual gamer, or gamer can see what's going on here and get on board. Whereas games like five, six, seven, eight, and the other ones uh, ahead of that are a little more meatier. They're more of what I would like to put in front of gamers. So I'm hoping that we can unlock them and print them and see those as well. 
So five, six, seven, eight. You're talking about just the other games. You, you, you do you have you only have the one, two, three level, right? For as far as right. complexity. Okay. I just want. I was like, oh, there's there's stuff. No, no, five, no, six, no. I'm like, oh my god, what have you done, Chris? So what we've done is we we've, <laughs> we've posted. Yeah, wow, that's really intense. <laughs> we've posted the games five, six, seven, and eight, which are kind of unlockable stretch goals that um, we've posted on there that. Um, hopefully we can print as well. So they're, they're visible and I'm hoping to, uh, get the rules videos posted sometime this week once I kind of catch up, uh, after the launch, but they've all been filmed. I just need to get them edited. And so that'll happen really shortly. And I'll tweet those out when those are ready and I'll post them on the, the Kickstarter page as well. But for example, like bus is a, um, pick up and deliver game. And you're probably thinking like, well, how do you, how do you even come anywhere near making a pick up and deliver game with 30 cards that size? But. Um, it's a favorite of a lot of my playtesters, so it's pretty cool. It's good yeah, stuff. I, I got to tell you, I, there's a couple of these games that uh, I didn't get to see, that, and I, I got jealous seeing other people say that they were playing them. I was like, oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I, Bus was one of them, and yeah. uh, you had what What was the other? Uh, shh is one of yeah, them. Yes. Which, which, you know, is really awesome a, for a podcast. It's a great thing. Oh, it's a great thing to say. <laughs> Don't say shh when I say shh. Why do you say shh when I say? But uh, so shh is a great game because it's kind of like Hanabi meets Scrabble. And basically there's one card for every letter in the game. So 26 letter cards and there's four pass cards. You just deal out the letters. The vowels stay in the center of the table and you just start and you start. The first player plays a letter from their hand and the, and the next player can either add a letter from their hand or slide down one of the available vowel cards. And pretty soon everybody's collectively trying to spell and complete at least a three letter word. Um, but they can't talk about them. They can't talk about what word they're trying to spell or what letters they have in their hand. So there's some deduction there and there's some, some risk taking and it works really, really well. It's, it's super fun. And I was afraid to put out a word game in front of gamers because obviously gamers are like, no way am I going to be up for that. But it is killer. I mean, it works really well. And when we put it on the table, these cards are they're really appealing. I mean, a lot of people will come over when we play um, at the Dust Bowl Brewery. People are like, what are you doing? This looks amazing. So um, it's a really cool looking game, but but very fun. And then lie is it's kind of liar's dice with cards, but extra choices because each card has a, a die on the top and a die on the bottom, a different die on the bottom. And so when you draw five cards from the center pot, you choose the orientation, basically choosing which die that you want to use for the round to bluff with. And so that also means that the ones that you don't choose, which are on the bottom of the card, it's more information. So when somebody's like, oh, um, I think five sixes, when you tucked the sixes downward on in your hand, you can call them out in a different way that you can't do in something like Liar's Dice. So that that is is really, really fun. It plays up to six players. I mean, it's crazy. My fiance loves word games, so that I, I haven't showed her that one yet on the page. Uh, She's going to do Oh, she, she totally will. And you know, one of the things that you mentioned that the, the videos, some of the videos are already up and some of them are coming. That's one of the things that's really nice overall as well. One of the things that I noticed when we were looking through and getting ready to play, you have the link on the top of the rule sheets that basically says, Hey, you want to learn this in three minutes? Here's a video for you. 
So I think that's pretty cool. I think that's a, a cool thing that you've added for those people that, you know, there, there are some people that don't want it. Even, even a single sheet, double sided rule sheet. Some people are just visual. Uh, my fiance is one of them. She, she just always wants to, let's just play kind of thing. You know, it, when we're trying to play more complex games, uh, she doesn't want to sit and listen to me describe every single thing. She wants to just get into it. So something like those videos are just beautiful. I mean, it's a nice second option for people and the rules aren't that co- complex to learn in the, in the first place, but having the video is just a, a nice touch. Thanks. Uh, yeah, it's and it's something I w- wanted to do from the start, because I think that in the era of YouTube, it's crazy that we're not utilizing that more to to play more games, because I've got games um, behind me here that I've had for 10 years that I haven't played mostly because I haven't gotten into the rulebook, you know. And so I think the idea that even especially for non gamers that, oh, you mean I can just watch a video for two or three minutes and figure it out? Great. That's all I need to do. Cause we forget that the barrier to entry for a lot of games, even like a ticket to ride, there's something about the rule book that, that puts people off that, I mean, non gamers are like, I, I don't, it looks too hard. I don't, I can't, I don't, can't read that. So I really want to try and work around that in some way. And uh, I think the rules video is a great help. And really we're pushing it at the top of the rule sheet. It's like, go here instead, because if you're visual or audio, audio learner, this is how you're going to do the best. So, um, yeah, we're definitely pushing the rules videos with this series. Yeah, that was a, a great ad. And one of the things you mentioned, too, is like when you were talking about having the cards out for shh, uh, and, and how they look, that's that's one thing as well. All of the cards were visually appealing. You've done a great job in, in getting the visuals on these. You know, like you said, they're, they're small cards. Uh, and, and it's a small package, but it's very visually appealing. E- each game did what it was set out to do very well, I think. Thanks. Uh, you know, I really thought a lot about that aspect of it in design. And, you know, it is challenging to have such a small component and yet still have the right amount of visual indicators and color and so forth. And so it's a really kind of tough choice. It's hard to get that right. But um, we're also trying to have something that really appeals to as many people as possible and not just have something with a dragon on it that a lot of people could be turned off by. We're really trying to have something that is very welcoming thematically and visually and colorful as well. So going into this project, you, you said this was the first one that you kind of your confidence level was up enough to want to do the Kickstarter and put this out. But did you have any sort of reservations with the fact that there it's such a small package? And like you said, trying to uh, get gamers on board. Did you did you have any concerns coming into this project? Yes, that was my number one concern that I was not going to be able to to convince gamers that these are good actual games um, because it's easy to look at these things and say there's just no way that you can put a game in here that's worth playing and i love that so many of the people that i've sent these out to for previews at the end of them many times they're like i have to say i was dead wrong when i saw these i thought there's no way there's a game here and almost all of them are like i'm happy to report that i was wrong these are games that we're going to play over and over. We're going to take them with us. And um, I knew that that would be the challenge based on their size and, and how they look. So <laughs> I would say that maybe I didn't have enough lead time even. I mean, you can never have enough kind of promo lead time, but um, I would have liked to have printed a lot more at home and just gotten them into as many gamers' hands as possible so that they can really see that these are legit. 
Yeah. You've got to feel good about it now. Cause like you said, I, I we kind of did it too. Like our, our video should be coming actually probably before this comes out, but I did some of that as well. And it, I, I believe I kind of said a few times that I'm just amazed what you were able to do and the amount of gameplay you were able to get in such a small package. So it's got to feel good because I, I would. I know that was kind of a concern you had. I I'd kind of seen that and, I, and maybe we had a conversation about it. Maybe you had sent me the part of the, as part of the email. I can't remember, but I, I do remember you having that little bit of a reservation and, and hoping that that, that was part of you trying to get the word out. So it's got to feel good because every time I turn around, yeah, that's, that's what I'm seeing as well. That, that people are really enjoying these and basically telling the world, Hey, you know, this is a game. This is a, a solid game and several solid games and you should definitely check them out so that that's got to be a great feeling right now <laughs> yeah it is and you know if i was on the other side of the table i would have felt the same way that this this can't be a good game and and i'm a you know <laughs> i know love letter is popular i don't like love letter i don't think that there's enough choice there i don't think that i'm making interesting decisions in love letter but that said i am obsessed with the fact that it's 16 cards well, and some wooden hearts or whatever, but right. I love the, the concept. I don't think it's a game that I want to play. In fact, I don't. So I'm not setting out to really make that kind of game. I want to make a game that as a gamer, I want to play, you know, I mean, seriously. So that's, it has been good to see the, the reviews or reviews come back and say, whoa, because it was a real fear of mine that we got a lot of people to convince here. Um, and I'm also try at the same time. I mean, I know some gamers don't care about this, but I'm I'm also trying to convince non-gamers to not be afraid of of what's in these packs. And that's where I've seen a real change because for years, even when I owned GatePlay.com, which is all about getting non-gamers to play Euros, it was so difficult to get them to play something like Ticket because you know there's something about we're used to it as gamers but you know it's a $50 game and it's mm-hmm. it's got these um intricate illustrations and and the rule book and all this stuff and you know we're we're used to it but that still is a a big barrier to entry for so many people and you know my parents even my parents haven't played Cinque Terre there's no way they're going to play it but with these games I'm telling you <laughs> they have asked to play them like there's something about this size and the fact that um, they're cards that a non-gamer is not intimidated by in the same way that they are with our with our flagship gateways. So I'm thrilled with that because I honestly think that these things can cross over in a way that I've always hoped games like Carcassonne and Ticket or Longshot could and didn't. Because, you know, even though those games do well in the retail channels, they're still not where we want them to be as gamers that want to spread the love of this hobby. And so these games with their price point and their approachability could hit that mark. And that's truly what I'm hoping that, that gamers are satisfied, but non-gamers are putting games back in their life and not staring at a mobile screen. So that's my philosophy. I think they, these do hit that mark really well. I mean, uh, not only because of their size, they're being easy to teach, but they run the spectrum of 10 to 30 minutes. So, I mean, that, that's not intimidating. I mean, you're not telling somebody, all right, well, we're going to sit down for an hour, hour and a half and play nope. this game. You're right. And you're exactly right. And you know, when I, I met with some distributors in, in Vegas, um, this spring, because before I kickstarted, I wanted to make sure that I could get into those channels as well confidently once this, um, came public. And in my pitches to, 
to distributors, I basically said, look, I know our, what our flagship games, our flagship gateway games are. And there's still, you know, this list of things that are keeping people away from them, like time, you know, 45 minutes to an hour. Well, as a gamer, we're cool with that, but there's lots of people that have a max of about 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. And so that's another mark that I was definitely trying to hit. So. And the price isn't going to be a, a bad thing either. Cause again, I, I completely agree with you on what you were saying there. Cause I used to work in a game store and the biggest challenge for me was getting those 50, 60, 70, $100 games off the shelf. And I did it, but it was like one, it was a goal. And two, I, it's not like I was like, I'm going to do this by the end of the week or whatever. It was like, okay, I'm giving myself a month to get this game out of the store because the non-gamer comes in, picks it up, goes, oh, this is cool. This looks cool. Oh, yeah, this looks... And then looks at the price tag and goes, oh, and puts yep. it right back. Absolutely. So it, it takes that extra bit of convincing. And that's at a store that focuses in on games. And I happened to be at a store that w- had a lot of central traffic. They did a lot more than just games, and they were very central traffic. Sure. That's not going to happen all the time in a, you know, quote unquote, local game store. Uh, you're not going to get necessarily general traffic in that's willing to pick that kind of stuff up either. Right. And I and I really have hopes that I can get these in places that you normally can't get a game like this into. Uh, you know, we'll we'll see if that's going to happen, but you know, they these games can can really uh do well in non-game stores because they just they're they're a lot more approachable. And I think the other thing that I I got lucky with was the rating system because mm-hmm. you know, in, in watching previews People are really judging them also based on how I've rated them. And they're not saying, oh, they're all going to be like fly where, it, you know, it's a set collecting dexterity where you drop the fly swatter. They're saying, yeah, for a very casual pickup and play with anybody, this is fantastic. And they're not judging Jim in the same way, just as they're not judging fly in the same way they would judge Jim. So I think that their rating system has really helped, at least on the gamer side, to um, really understand what is possible and what is going to be offered in the series going forward. Well, and one of the other cool things then on the retail space side, you're not taking up a major amount of space. Uh, and as we all know, retail space is gold. So you're, you're not asking somebody to take up a coffin sized box space in their store. No, but th- I have other challenges because what I am asking is I need you to put this in a case or I need you to put yes. it on point of purchase counter. Yeah. So the, I have a different set of challenges there. Um, and I, I've got some good ideas in, in that arena, but you're right. I mean, it's, it does take us just a small footprint to get these in front of people. And, um, I, I'm really hoping that uh, that can help the product. One of the things that I said in, when we were recording our video was my feeling is if this would have hit prior to and, and been in people's hands prior to Gen Con, this would have been what I saw last year. It was Love Letter. Everywhere I went, Love Letter was being played in pubs and hotel lobbies and everything else. And I basically said in our video that if this would have hit prior to this Gen Con, this would have been that. These are the games that I would be seeing everywhere. So that's kind of what I'm expecting out of next Gen Con almost. Yeah, and we've basically blocked out the whole calendar for next year on on which cons we're going to go to and so forth. And I hope we can pull that off. And I hope we fund. We're still not funded, by the way. Yes. But, uh, you know, that's what my hope is too, because I, I think it does – it does belong out there. I mean, Gen Con is a great, uh, way to, to show 
the U.S. this product. And, um, that's our hope too. And it won't, it certainly won't. I'm not even going to be at this Gen Con, but you know, we're going to probably have these by May and June sometime next year. So, um, that's just about time to, to launch at Gen Con if we have the product by then. Yeah. I, I think this would do re- really well seeing stuff like that. I mean, this, this is right in that wheelhouse and it's, it's awesome to see. Thanks. Yeah. I, I feel the same way and I, I really, I just hope gamers get it and and understand that these are legit. I've been spreading the word so far. Everybody that's asked me about it, I'm like, it's it's no, this 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 is the real deal. Go check go check it out and cool. and get on board if you can. And and like I said, uh, either uh, hope possibly early tomorrow or uh, by Saturday morning. I think our video should be up, so that would be uh, great as well because I can start uh, having people check that out. Uh, let's see though, where are we at here? We're not we're not doing too bad for time. So oh, uh, what's that? You know, keep going. We got we, I got I show fifty eight seconds, but that's when we started the call. So we still oh, got yeah, more we, time than yeah, I thought. We've, we've got more more time than that. I'm I'm actually looking at the actual recording. So we're we're good. Nice. All right. <laughs> so you know what? Here's uh here's one I like to ask. Are you ready? All right. Yeah. All right. So somebody is listening to us talk and and wax poetically about Paco game. And so they've, uh, they've paused the podcast for a minute and they've gone over and they started checking out the, uh, project and they're like, uh, you know what? I, this might be for me. I, I can maybe see this, but I'm, I don't know. So if they come back over here, what are a couple things that you would tell them to make them go, you know what, Chris, you're absolutely right. I need to back pack a game right now. <laughs> well, I got to tell you that I have $60 games with a bunch of gorgeous artwork and wood and cool components in in my game library that I've played one time. And I have had these in my life taking, in some cases, five to ten at a time everywhere. And I know how it has improved my game time in my own life as a gamer. And I know that I have increased how many games I play by at least two, probably more like four, because the opportunity to play games in the short amount of time that these games can provide and the the interesting level that it provides is worth doing. And so because it literally takes no space, you know, keep them in your cup holder, you keep them in your glove box, wherever. These are games that will absolutely improve a gamer's gaming life. I know this for a fact. So, um, and the other thing is I, I sent them out to friends when I was doing the preview process. And there are a couple of times where, you know, I said, you know, I hadn't gotten to them yet because they're still at home. Um, and I'm like, dude, take them, put them in your car, put them in the, in the cup holder. And I guarantee that you will have it played in a day or two. And every time it was like, you were right. It's exactly what I needed to do. And, you know, we've had some comments about like sleeving and things. It's like, no, dude, you're missing the point. It's not about sleeving and keeping this precious product. It's about getting a lot more good, interesting gaming in at times and in places that you couldn't do before. And so don't sleeve them. Take them everywhere and play more games. It's actually really simple. really is. And, you know, one of the things that I'll say, too, like when we were playing them um, uh, off and on, 
like one evening, you know, we've got a, a small kitchen island and we were prepping dinner and all that stuff. So we had stuff on the island and we got to a point where we were just waiting for things in the oven and whatnot. And so Megan and I sat down and we played all five of the games that we had at least once on the island with other stuff around us. So, I mean, they don't take up a huge amount of table space either. That's that's kind of a cool thing. These games are very, yeah, take pretty much everywhere. I mean, restaurants, bars, pub, you know, all that kind of stuff. And we sat there and played, like like I said, we, we went through the entire series one night while we were waiting for dinner and, you know, still had time to wait for things to cook and, and play a couple of other ones again. And so it's, it's very easy to kind of get into and, and play anywhere. <laughs> well, you know, I, I thank you. And I, I'm thrilled that you played them, you know, at home when you could have just gone and pulled out Agricola too or whatever. But, um, and I hope that people play them in their homes, but they really do shine when they're out and about because that's when you wish you had a game worth playing, but you didn't pack one because it's too big and, and off putting. And the, these will, erase that problem. The other thing that I want to say, um, I was just talking to my buddy who is always trying to get people to play games and, you know, we'll go to a cabin trip where there's several couples will be there and, and most of them are not gamers and we'll bring, you know, a stack of five or six games because we'll, we, we want to feel out, take the temperature of the situation and, and maybe there might be two or three people that like the auction or something. And, and we'll, we'll choose a game based on a potential interest of, you know, somebody might say something about board games and, you know, we bring all these games and we, we forget that that is like overwhelming. First of all, the fact that you are into games and even bring one game would be <laughs> kind of weird to some people, but the fact you brought a stack, really can sometimes put people off. Well, you can still do that kind of thing with with these. You could pack four or five games, and but you won't kind of intimidate anybody with them that you brought four or five games. And if somebody's like, you know what? Um, yeah, I kind of do like games or I'm into this or that. You can say, hey, let's let's play TKO real quick or, you know, whatever. You can still bring the variety is what I'm saying without it being look like like you have this stack of, you know, games and and. <laughs> kind of look like a weirdo. So I, I've got two, two things I want to mention one. I, and I think I go over this in the video as well, but TKO to me is the, uh, is going to be one of the games that will really appeal to parents. I think, you know, the whole hanging out in Applebee's, you don't have to uh, worry about the crayons going under the table kind of thing. You, you bring out TKO, you play that with your kids uh, and you have a good time while you wait for your meal and you take up very little space. Uh, I think that is great for that. And like you're talking about these, the other games are, they're so small and compact. It can be taken anywhere and play in such a small amount of time. I help out with one of the walk-in and play areas that got recently started in one of our local conventions. So I have people coming in in there with varying lengths of time. Yeah. Uh, between, you know, hey, I didn't get my event or my event starts in, you know, 20 minutes. What can you teach me? This is going in my wheelhouse now. <laughs> so right. I, I've got that gambit where, oh, you've only got 10, 20 minutes. Let me show you a really cool game real quick. So you, you've kind of helped me fill a little bit of a niche there as well. That's great. Absolutely. <laughs> and, you know, look, you look at a game like Q, it has you have four turns or five turns and, you know, you think, well, what, what can you accomplish in that short amount of turn span? And yet you can because of the way it's built and that you have to piggyback on other players, motives and color interests. And, um, you know, it just happens to work very well. You just don't have, you know, 
20, 30 turns like we might right. be used to. You know, so I, yeah, absolutely. One of the things I said since you brought up Hugh, the thing I like about Hugh is you determine what you're scoring right up until the very end. At first, I wasn't sure what I was going to think of that, but then when I was playing it and, and played it a couple times, I, I thought that was just a, a nice little cool mechanic for such a quick game that, you know, it's one of those things that I was always thinking up front, okay, uh, here's two cards. I'll make my decision <laughs> once I play the last card, but I'm going to try to focus around these two cards and just having that flexibility to kind of change what you're scoring as the board kind of progresses was kind of cool. Yeah, it really it does work. And then, you know, you might think, oh, it's obvious that you would hang on to your skull card until the last one. But there are lots of times where that just doesn't work, especially because of the the other two colors on the skull card aren't valuable. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you really do have to watch what's happening in every turn. You have to decide, yeah, I think this is the right one to release out from my hand and also try to utilize what colors are on there to affect the board in your uh, favor. All right. So are you ready for me to give out the details here? <laughs> Let's do the deets. All right. Pack O Game is on Kickstarter right now. It is going until August 30th, 2014. Chris is looking for $30,000, something I didn't get a chance to ask him. Uh, and maybe I will once I get done with the details here. He is currently at a little over 23,000, approaching 24,000. Again, just recently, uh, launched, not going to have an issue. Uh, and there are a lot of great people out there saying great things about these games, including myself. And, uh, you'll hear Megan as well chime in on them as the casual gamer perspective when we put the video up. So, uh, definitely. Definitely check it out. As always, check the show notes. We will have links to the Kickstarter project there and how you can uh, find Chris on social media and all that good stuff. So you can always check that. Or Chris has packogame.com that redirects to the Kickstarter. Uh, or go over to Kickstarter and just put in packogame. And it's just a uh, O, just a, a singular O. Uh, and you will find these. And again, that's going until August 30th, 2014. And the stretch goals, if you get in on the stretch goals, are going to be more games. So there is a level where, uh, you know, you get, you can pick and choose if there's only a few games that you're interested in. But if you go for the full pack, you uh, qualify for the stretch goals, which is going to get you some more games. All right. So, Chris, you know, I am going to ask you this, though. Were you nervous at all going in asking for 30000 as a first-time creator on, on Kickstarter? Yes, I was thinking. I mean, I know that it's a little bit higher than what the averages are right now, um, but we really wanted to keep uh, the price point of each game at 6 We wanted people to see that number and understand the six. And so in order to make that work on our end, we needed to have more of a foundation. So um, I wish it was lower, but we're, you know, trying to make it all work. So we're, we're going for 30 and we're close. I, 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 I have, you know, I'm hoping we're going to get there. So oh, you will, you will definitely get there, sir. <laughs> but yeah, you, uh, you are uh, bucking a trend a little bit. I mean, something that I, I would have possibly been, uh, 
cautiously warning you about as well if you had asked me up front. We always like to tell people, especially for their first campaign, to maybe start with a smaller campaign and work up. But on the other end, I'm usually talking to somebody that this is the first time the general public has seen anything they've created. Uh, you are not a stranger to game creation, so that helps as well. And you've just got a really cool project that is hitting a lot of buttons right now. So it is definitely working out for you, and I'm glad to see that. Yeah, thanks. I really appreciate it, Jeff. All right. So, Chris, thanks for hanging out with me tonight. It's been awesome. You bet. It was great. I'm glad we got to have the conversation. And I'm uh, glad. Oh, you know, hey, I didn't do it. Hold on. Before I let you go, do you have <laughs> anything that you want to share with somebody else coming up and, and potentially wanting to use Kickstarter? Well, I think it's a little bit early to uh, talk about that. But, you know, I've learned so much from the forums and different things that are out there. And J- Jamie's uh, content is just out of control. Um, <laughs> and so I'm hoping to also... Uh, add to that and and bring some more uh, information and, and feedback to the whole process. I think it's a bit early, but make sure you're ready. I, I think I would say that and that people were telling me that too. We almost launched in June and in looking at what was necessary, I realized we needed to get a lot more previews out to people's uh, hands. And I'm really glad we did that. That's and, right. Um, that's right. Yeah. I, I now, that's right. You and I had talked back then and, and you, had, yep. you, you were like on the, verge of launching and i was like ah, I, I i can't help you right now <laughs> right i do remember that now yeah that's right i don't think it's too early though. i mean it, it, i mean you you're still running a project and everything like that but obviously there was uh wonderful steps like that that you learned in going into launching your project that some things we say over and over again but you'd be amazed how many times i answer the exact same question every day so there's uh, nothing is kind of to be taken for granted, I guess, when sharing information to other people that might be thinking about using the Kickstarter uh, process. So, uh, you know, you, you did learn some things before you launched even about the Kickstarter process. <laughs> yep, for sure. All right. Now, now, <laughs> now I'm going to let you go. <laughs> Uh, so I, I do thank you for hanging out with me. It's been an awesome time. And, uh, you know, again, the, the project, no issues whatsoever. Uh, you're going to have an amazing project. Uh, I, I should also point out you've got over 760 backers already as well. So you're doing awesome on the backer front, on the funding front, nothing but success in front of you here, sir. And I'm happy to see that. I think it's an amazing project and I'm glad it's doing as well as it is. Thank you, Jeff. I really appreciate it. All right, everybody. Thanks for hanging out with us again. Again, real quick, Paco Game, uh, going until August 30th, 2014. Go over and check it out. You want to get in on this project. Trust me. All right. I will be back with more interviews soon. Like I said before, we're not going to be doing any more draft picks for August, unfortunately. I had some issues where Sarah and I couldn't record, and Sarah's got a conflict at the end of the month. So we're going to skip draft picks for August, but we will be back with those. But interviews, those are still coming. So thanks for listening. This podcast is a proud member of the GeekCast Network. If you enjoyed it and are looking for other podcasts with a geek culture slant, head over to geekcastnetwork.com, where you will find podcasts such as Royal Monster Battalion, where two geeks share their love of monster movies and have a few laughs along the way.